welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends, um, before we jump into Hebrews uh, and before I invite the Hubers up, uh, many of you know we had a guy named Scott Erickson here last Sunday. If you saw the painting in the art gallery, he sent us a card. That's nice. It's a card. I thought I would read this uh, as an encouragement to you all. He said, Micah, I know I said this Sunday as we were leaving church, but I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to know and to have been able to work alongside your community. I was seriously blessed by the kindness, the generosity, and the maturity of faith. Like he's been listening in on our series or something. Uh, I'm so humbled by it all. I'll be praying for you as you continue forward in the surprising and transforming grace of our King Jesus and all that uh, he has for you. So that's from Scott. Thanks for uh, hosting. That was a fun night. Very cool. Um, I'm going to invite Kevin and Courtney Hubers up and, uh, and, the, and the fam. So Timmy and Jude and Annie, why don't you guys make your way up? Many of you know Kevin and Courtney. Uh, Courtney helped start our kids' community here at Awaken. They've been with us from the beginning, which seems like just yesterday. Uh, and they have been on a journey of uh, um, the call and the grace that God gives some to adopt. And so um, we have been praying with these guys and uh, sort of in on the journey, as it were, as a community, and they are leaving this Thursday to go to China to pick up a youngster named Pong, which I'm so very excited about. So uh, we wanted to pray for them and bless them as they leave on their travel. So if you're, yeah, there there he is right there. Yeah. I'm like, that wasn't that interesting, I didn't think, but... I'll take it, right? I'll take it. Yeah, thank you. Stop. I'll stop. So if you're on the prayer team, if you want to make your way up, uh, we just want to lay hands on you guys and pray and bless you. So uh, these guys will make their way up. And Annie and Timmy and Jude are going to be with Grandma and Grandpa for a couple weeks, so that's going to be fun. We'll pray for them as well. So join, join us as we pray, um, if you would. God, we thank you so much for Kevin and Courtney, uh, for Timmy, for Jude, for Annie, Um, for all that you have been doing in their hearts over the last uh, couple of years, this this journey of navigating and discerning and um, trying to be faithful to what they sense you inviting them to be and do in the world. And so, God, I thank you for the grace that you've given them um, to take this image and this beautiful picture of adoption and make it real and a part of their home. I pray for all of the details, all the things that Uh, many of us don't even have the faintest idea about uh, bringing a new one into your family. So I pray for Pong. I pray for your your peace, uh, your blessing, God, that uh, his entrance into this new family would be um, one that is filled with uh, pictures and images and sounds and sense of who you are. Um, So be with them as a family, I pray, God, and your blessing on them as they travel. Uh, Be with Timmy and Jude and Annie as they're with Grandma and Grandpa this week. Uh, over the next couple weeks and as they await the new arrival of their little brother. So we thank you so much, God, and we pray in your name and all God's people said. Amen. 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 All right, guys. Have fun. (laughs) Say hi to China for us. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, I'll let you know if you are not aware, if you're new to Awaken, we have a prayer space over here on my right and your left. At any point during the gathering or during music or worship, you're welcome to use that. Uh, There will be people there after the gathering to pray with you if you have any need for that. So uh, I want to invite you to that. And I will let you know that uh, I'm going to be reading from a different version of the Bible than I normally read from today. 
mostly because the passage that we're studying this morning is one of the most bizarre and hard to interpret and understand passages in all of the Bible. Are you ready? Let's do this! So uh, I've been excited about this one for a little while. Actually, uh, we were doing some of the, the planning for teaching over the summer, and Jane's like, I think I want to do Melchizedek. And I was like, okay, sure, no problem. You want to take that one off my plate? I'd be, I'd be happy to. And then a couple weeks later, she's like, I'm not sure what I was thinking in saying that I would preach on Melchizedek. So uh, you can have that back. <laughs> so uh, that's what we're doing this morning. So if you would stand, and I will uh, read from... Uh, Two different translations. One is the message, and and we'll end with the voice, but if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's Hebrews chapter 7. It says this, Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the highest God. He met Abraham, who was returning from the royal massacre, and gave him his blessing. There was a, a large war where Abraham met a bunch of kings in the area. Abraham, in turn, gave him the tenth of the spoils. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Salem means peace, so he is also the king of peace. Melchizedek towers out of the past without record of family ties, no account of the beginning or end. In this way, he is like the son of God, one huge priestly presence dominating the landscape always. Now skip to verse 11. If the priesthood of Levi and Aaron, which provided the framework for the giving of the law, could really make people perfect, there wouldn't have been need for a new priesthood like that of Melchizedek. But since it didn't get the job done, there was a change of priesthood which brought with it a radical new kind of law. There is no way of understanding this in terms of the old Levitical priesthood, which is why there's nothing in Jesus' family tree connecting him to the priestly line. Verse 15, but the Melchizedek story provides a perfect analogy. Jesus, a priest like Melchizedek, not by genealogical descent, but by the sheer force of resurrection life, He lives, priest forever in the royal order of Melchizedek. The former way of doing things, a system of commandments that never worked out the way it was supposed to, was set aside, and the law brought nothing to maturity. Another way, Jesus, a way that does work, that brings us right into the presence of God, is put in its place. And from the voice, verse 22, So we can see that Jesus has become the guarantee of a new and better covenant. Further, the priesthood of the sons of Levi has included many priests because death cut short their service. But Jesus holds this priesthood permanently because he lives in resurrected life forever. From such a vantage, he's able to save those who approach God through him for all time because he will forever live to be their advocate in the presence of God. Pray with me. God, as we uh, study this passage and we open ourselves up, our hearts and our minds, to uh, this story and this letter written to this group of people so long ago. Um, It's always my prayer, God, that this wouldn't be about religion or ritual or habit or oughts and shoulds, but that it would be about a desire that we have to meet with and hear from and connect to the divine, you, the God of all creation, made known to us in Jesus. And so, God, as we study by your spirit, would you speak words that we need to hear? Uh, would you take the, the, the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips, and would you use them, God, to do much more than I could ever imagine, much more than my words could allow? Uh, by your power, invest them with your kingdom, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. So this morning, I want to explore what I would argue is the biblical equivalent of the Sasquatch. You all know about the Sasquatch, right? 
Yeah? Slim Jim? Step into a Slim Jim? Wasn't that something about a Sasquatch or some sort of beef jerky? Uh, The Sasquatch, if you know, uh, is sort of this mythical character who some people believe exists and some people don't. You know, people chase him around looking for him. And uh, I want to suggest that Melchizedek, this character that the author of Hebrews spends an entire chapter and mentions in other places multiple times, is a bit like uh, the Sasquatch because, number one, he sort of appears out of nowhere. And before you can say, there's the Sasquatch or there's Melchizedek, he disappears, right? He, he shows up three times in the Bible, once in Genesis, which we'll read in a minute, once in the Psalms, Psalm 110, and then in Hebrews. And that's really it. We don't know anything about this person. Um, so he's a bit like the Sasquatch in that sense. He shows up as quickly as he disappears. And then the other piece of it is the Sasquatch and, you know, things like the Loch Ness Monster, they bring out the crazies, You know what I'm talking about? The people who are like the conspiracy theory people who are like, oh, have you heard about the the latest sighting of the, or the Loch Ness Monster? And Melchizedek, if you read about Melchizedek and you look at like scholars and people who write about it, you would not believe the crazy things that people say about this person, like who he is and what he did and what he's all about. Uh, it's just bonkers. You can find like all, all of the crazies that occupy the opposite ends of the, of the spectrum. They all have something to say about Melchizedek. So it brings out all the cuckoos. So I'm going to teach about it, right? I figure I'll just fall right in line. I'll fall right in line. Now, before I do this, I do recognize this, right? This passage, and especially the one that we just read, is saying something very, very serious and very important about the law and about essentially what it means to be a Jew and what it means to be a Hebrew in, a, in the biblical sense. So much of the biblical life and much of Jewish life in the Bible is rooted in the Levitical system or the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And if you were listening, this sort of paraphrase that I read, it's essentially saying that something new has begun and something has happened in Jesus that renders what was not not that it's not important, it is, and it, and it was, and it remains to be, but there's something new that offers a different path. And I recognize, like, the, the, the implications of that, and I don't want to gloss over that, you know, sort of glibly, because, you know, hey, this is a church, and we're about Jesus, and all of that. It's a very serious thing, and there's a lot of people in the world who would vehemently disagree with me on this one. Uh, I, I recognize that. And people have asked me, like, uh, Well, this is one of the reasons why I think that you have to take Jesus seriously and you have to take what Jesus does very seriously because the implications of it are far-reaching for the the story of God and the people of God in the world, all right? So, um, I want to do this by answering two questions this morning. One, who is Melchizedek? So let's just talk about who is this guy. And then two, why is he so important to the author of Hebrews? All right, so that's where we're going this morning. And in order to answer the first one, you have to actually go back to Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Genesis chapter 14, this is, the, this is the, 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 the only place that Melchizedek, the actual person, shows up in the Bible. Everything else is a reference to this. It's the one spot, and it's like six verses, right? So it says this in Genesis 14, starting in verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating uh, this guy, Kittle something or other, uh, and the kings, and do you see that? Yeah, there we are. Kedor Lomer. Kedor Lomer. Kedor, that guy. Uh, allied, and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, 
king of Salem brought out bread and wine. Noted. He was a priest of the Most High God, or God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to the God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then uh, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not accept, I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal. Evidently that was a hot commodity. So that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and share that belongs to the men and who went with me to Anir, Eshkol, Mamre. Let them have their share. So this is the only place that in the Bible it mentions Melchizedek. So who is this guy? We learn from the text first and foremost that his name means king of righteousness. If you break up Melchizedek uh, into the two root words that it comes from, Melech and Sedek, it means king and righteousness. So his name literally means he's the king of righteousness. The text also tells us that he's the king of Salem, which comes from the word shalem, which comes from the root word, which we all know, shalom, which means peace. So right out of the gate, we learned that this guy, who has no beginning, he has no end, he doesn't die in the scriptures, we don't know where he's come from, his name is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Then it goes on to say that he's the, uh, the Kohen El Elyon, so in Hebrew it looks like this, and that means the priest of the Most High God. This is an all play. What do we know about priests in the Israelite community? Where do they come from? Just shout it out if you know. The Levites, say it over here. The line of Aaron. Anything else we know about these people? One important detail. He's not around yet. By the time, when, when you read Genesis 14, Aaron has not come on the scene. And God has not said to Abram, hey, bring your brother Aaron to me, and we're going to consecrate Aaron and his line, which becomes the Levites, and all of the priests of Israel are going to come from this line. That has not yet happened. So what has just been said about Melchizedek? He's the Kohen, the priest, same language, of the Most High God. That there's something about this person that is bigger than what's about to come in and through Aaron and the Levites. So Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. He's described as the king of peace. Uh, He's the priest of the most high God. He has no lineage. He comes from nowhere, out of nowhere. And he's a priest to the degree that Abraham actually gives him a tenth of the spoils of war, which if you know the Israelite sacrificial system, part of that was giving a tenth of your belongings, your possessions, your grains, your offerings to the priests so that they could have lives so that they could live and feed their families. So Abram gives a tenth to Melchizedek. The father of Israel gives a tithe. So who is this guy? I would submit to you that he's a figure, that he's a symbol of something larger than what's about to come in Aaron and Levi, connected to the Levitical system, absolutely, but a symbol of something larger. He becomes an archetype In Psalm 110, the psalmist says that uh, he's talking about the Messiah, the promised one that's going to come of Israel, come to Israel, and he says that he will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So he becomes this archetypal sort of symbol of what is about to happen or what's promised to 
Israel. And for the author of Hebrews, he's a thread that ties the whole entire story together, all the way back from Abraham to Jesus, right? Because who is this writer writing to? Not a trick question. The Hebrews, it's the name of the book, (laughs) right? So he's a thread that ties the whole story from the beginning all the way to the end together. Now, I have a friend, Rabbi Alan, who I've talked about before, and I, you know, it's always fun to have a, a, a rabbi to call. You're like, dude, who in the world is Melchizedek? So he says this. He says, Melchizedek is a window into the sacred future. To which you might ask, ask the question, what does that really mean? Uh, it's, it's a moment in time when Abba pulls back the curtain, as it were, of time, and we get a window, we get a look into this choice that is ever-present in the scriptures, and I would submit to you ever-present to you and us right here and right now, of what does it mean to participate in the work of God? What does it mean to participate in what Alan calls the sacred future or the way of God in the world as a human? And what is the essential, essentially, what is the opposite of that? So when Abba pulls back the curtain in Genesis 14, we see with Melchizedek this sort of epic and fundamental choice that lies between every, or in front of every single one of us every single day that we live our lives as a human being. What does it mean to participate in the divine life, the hopes and dreams of God for the world and for me and for you? And what does it mean to participate in something that is completely and utterly opposite of that? So who is Melchizedek? No big deal, right? <laughs> it's gigantic. It's, it's cosmic. It's, it's huge. So when you, when you start reading about the scriptures and you start reading about this person and somebody's like digging really, really deep about Melchizedek, is this one? Just say thank you, but no thank you. You got to zoom out to get who this person is and what he's up to. Now, why is this person so important to the author of Hebrews, you might ask? Now, a lot of times in church, the answer is Jesus, right? You, you've heard me tell this joke before about Sunday school with the little kid, and he's, this teacher says, what's furry, has a bushy tail, eats nuts, climbs trees? And uh, the little kid says, I know that it sounds a lot like a squirrel, but the answer is always Jesus. <laughs> why is this person so important to the writer of Hebrews? The answer is Jesus in this case. Um, I would say, say it this way, the connections and similarities between Melchizedek and Jesus are stunning and very important, so the author of Hebrews draws on them. There's this phrase when people study about Jesus that he, Jesus plays multiple roles, or he has multiple titles, as it were. So if you think back to Israel, and you think about the people who had important titles or roles in, Israelites, uh, in, in Israel's community, who might some of those people be? This is an all play. Go ahead and shout some of them out. Who are the important titles or roles in Israel's life? Say it. Joseph. Okay, think, think bigger. Not names, but titles. I heard kings. Yep, what else? Judges. Prophets. We've talked about them a lot in this book. The priests, right? So a lot of times when people talk about Jesus, they say Jesus is not just one thing, or he doesn't play one role, but he's in fact a prophet, a priest, and a king. Jesus is a prophet in the sense that he speaks on behalf of God and he calls the people of God back to or into God's hopes and dreams for the world. He's a prophet. He's a priest in the sense that he offers sacrifices on behalf of the people, in this case himself. And he's a king in the sense that he's the rightful, Paul calls him the the world's true Lord. 
So similarly, Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. He plays a kingly role. And he's the priest of the most high God. So the similarities are the connections between Jesus, which is where the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is taking the whole story, and this Melchizedek are pretty strong. So he's drawing on those connections. Why is he important? Because Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek. He's a king like Melchizedek. Um, not only that, but he has no lineage, right? If you know the story of Jesus, he was conceived, we're in a Catholic church for crying out loud, he was conceived of the Virgin Mary, right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which is to say, many people would argue, that Jesus has no beginning, as it were, like we know beginnings. Like, you know, my daughter is taking health class right now, and she's about to enter that week of class <laughs> where they talk about beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> Parents, am I like going crazy, or I am so nervous about what is about to be said this week? Like, I want a copy of the curriculum, you know? Is this normal? Okay, no, you're all looking at me like, dude, just settle down. It's fine. You're going you're gonna to be okay. I want to sit in on the class and be like, objection, your honor. <laughs> Hadley's like, no, please, dad. We're like, we should just take you out and do it ourselves. No, dad, for the love, do not do that. <laughs> My friends will think I'm crazy, and I do not want to hear about beginnings from you. Jesus conceived of the Holy Spirit, right? No beginning and no end. Resurrected from the dead, alive. Melchizedek, he shows up on the scene with no origin, no lineage, and he just kind of like never dies in the consciousness of the Hebrew people. So the writer of Hebrews is like, hey friends, this person that you know about, who you, this sort of epic mythic character of Genesis 14, Melchizedek, who had no beginning and no end, let me tell you about another person who has no beginning and who has no end. His name is Jesus. So the writer is, why is he so important? Because of these connections that he's making between, between Jesus and his accomplishment and his resurrection. Why else is he important? I would say it this way. Among humans, and especially religious people in the world, there's a temptation to keep doing what you've always done. Can I get an amen? For many of us who have been around church and religion before, you show up on a Sunday and sometimes maybe you've asked the question like, why in the world do we keep doing that? Like, nobody does that anymore. What, what, what's the point of that? Or why? And tradition or liturgy or history or whatever is the answer. Sometimes it's theology. Sometimes it's like, we're not really sure, but if we stop doing it, all of the people in the graves would come up out of the graves and tell us we have to keep doing it because we've always done it that way, right? I remember being a youth pastor at a church uh, early in my career, and uh, we're sitting at a staff meeting, so if you can imagine, I'm like 20-something, you know, I know everything. And we're, we're talking about this situation at our church where somebody had made a mistake, and uh, we're trying to figure out, like, what to do about this, you know, because uh, people were upset, and, and, and somebody had said something that they maybe they could have said more clearly or whatever, and we're talking about how do we fix this problem? And I, I'm sitting there listening, thinking to myself, everything I learned, I, I needed to learn about life, I learned in kindergarten. You remember this book? And I, so I go, um, why, why don't you, pastor, just stand up on Sunday and say I'm sorry? And just say, like, we made a mistake and we apologize if that caused anyone harm or confusion and we're really sorry about that. And I swear to you, the response verbatim was, 
we can't do that. To which I kind of, you know, in my wisdom, I said, oh, okay, and I took another route. I was like, why the heck not? Like, we made a mistake. Just say you're sorry. Like, we can't do that. You you just can't do that from the front. Well, then people won't trust the, the, the office of the pastor, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Have you guys ever heard of the ashram cat? No. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you about the ashram cat. There's this, there's this, uh, this story about uh, a guru in India, and you know the, the people are coming into the temple to worship, and there's this cat that keeps showing up. And the cat is causing all sorts of havoc, and he's making, you know, racket, you know, like cats do. And so they tie the cat to a pole, you know, to keep the poor little kitty cat quiet and in the corner. And worship goes on and whatever. And then the cat dies eventually. And they're like, we need a new cat. So they go and they get another cat to tie up. Because this is what we've always done, right? It only needs to happen once for us to say this is what we've always done. So the cat dies, and they go and get another cat, and then the guru dies, and the guru says, well, we have to have another cat, and on and on it goes. And then hundreds of years later, somebody's like, why do we tie up a cat to a pole while we worship? And people are like, I don't know, but that's the way we've always done it. And there's this temptation as humans to keep doing it the way we've always done it. Right? Maybe it's comfort, maybe it's something psychological, maybe it's a part of how religious communities work. But there is a temptation, if you remember the context here, right? These people have come from Judaism. And Judaism is rooted in the sacrificial system. And if you wonder, like, what is that about? Boil, boil it all down. Essentially, it's how does one stay in relationship with God? And here is a mechanism, a way by which... You can do something to off or offer sacrifice to, you know, be a, a sim, essentially a symbol of your repentance or your desire to change or sorrow and God's forgiveness. And so this is the system that they live in. And so they go to temple and they sacrifice. It happens every single day. And there are high and holy days where more sacrifices, more specific sacrifice. And this is the center of worship in Israel. So you can imagine if you're in that position and all of a sudden someone comes along and says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And Jesus says, this this people of God that you've been doing in this particular fashion that's rooted in the Levitical system and the sacrificial system, there's a new system. There's a new covenant, it's called. And it's a covenant that's written in my body and blood which is why every week we come, or every month we come to this table and we break the bread and dip it in the wine. So Jesus says, hey, there is a new thing that's happening. Behold, I am making all things new. And this way by which you were in right relationship with God previously, it's no longer necessary. There is one sacrifice once and for all, the perfect sacrifice, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, And it has been offered and is offered to you from this day forward. So the temptation to always keep going back to the way that we've always done it, you can imagine thinking back to this people who was getting this book, that temptation. If they're anything like you and me, 
Well, we can't do that. That's not the way we've done it before. We've always done it this way. So there's this interesting dialogue that's going on. And the author of Hebrews says, and we read a whole bunch of it in in verses like 11 to 19 about why this new system, this new covenant is once and for all. So why is he so important? Because of the connections to Jesus, certainly because of this temptation to keep doing what we've always done. And I'll close with this. The offer is still the same. Genesis chapter 14. We read about Abram, the father of Israel, who is met by two kings. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the offers that were made that day are the same offers that were offered to the Hebrews who received this letter, and they're the same offers that are, that are being offered to you and me right here, right now, in our lives. Remember what the offers were. Melchizedek comes out, and he offers sacrifice, bread and wine, Now, if the author of Hebrews had done something interesting about the new covenant and this new meal that we participate in, communion, as it were, then I think you'd be on good ground to say this is totally 100% connected. A lot of people are like, oh my gosh, it's the first evidence of communion in the scriptures, which is interesting, but I don't think there's any textual evidence to be able to say that. I think it's a very interesting connection. But you can still work with bread and wine, which was absolutely a part of the sacrificial system and and the way in which someone would offer sacrifice in Israel. And the offer to Abram is sacrifice, bread and wine, the body broken, the blood poured out for the healing of the world. Which is essentially to say, here's what I offer you. Sacrifice self for the benefit of other. Which seems crazy. And it's actually why Jesus can say in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to keep your life, you lose it. I think it's exactly this. Forever who wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world if they forfeit their soul? So the offer is completely paradoxical. It, it goes against all intuition. It's sacrifice for the benefit of other. And the offer of the king of Sodom, right? Do you remember what he says? Give me the people. Abram is the father of who? Israel. God's people in the world. Give me the people and you get the spoils. Sacrifice and selfish or self are the two offers. The sacred future Participation in what God intends for the world always involves sacrifice. And it seems crazy at times that by the giving up of myself for the benefit of another, the world goes round. Or the hopes and dreams of God in the world are made known. Versus the offer that we get every single day. Take care of yourself. Look out for number one. What you need, what you want, go after it at all costs. If you have to mow somebody down in the process, do it. Because if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. So climb the ladder, step on whatever you need to step on in order to get wherever it is that you want to go. You give me the people, 
that you've been cared and entrusted with. And what you get is the spoils of war. Anything you want. You want women, you want power, you want money, you want food, you want security. Just give me the people you've been entrusted to care for. Those are the offers. So I would submit to you this morning, Melchizedek. Why is this guy so important to Hebrews? Because it's the same offer. It's the, it's the, I would say the epic story of our lives. That you and I, every single day, choose sacrifice and, the, and blessing of others at the cost to self, which ironically enough is the way of God in the world, or choose yourself. Here's what I would like to do as we close. In just a moment, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity for silence, um, something we've been trying to do more and more. And I'd like you to just think about this one question. For you, what's the offer? In your life, as a student, as a mother, as a, as a worker, as somebody who's in corporate America, what's the offer? That you know, if you go this way, it's going to cost you. It's going to be the sacrifice of maybe something that to the world seems crazy. But if you go this way, what's the offer? And what do you do today? What do you choose today? So as we have that time of silence, I just want to invite you to consider that question. And I was on Facebook this week, which, you know, I don't do a lot. And I saw somebody from Awaken who posted something, and I was like, that is what I'm talking about. You know, we talk about these ideas at church, you come and you listen, and maybe there's some idea that sparked some interest or, or conversation at the table later. But I heard this, and I was like, that's like, it's being lived out. Somebody actually tried it this week. And so uh, Allie and I were training for the World Vision Half Marathon, and after she ran six miles, decided to sit down and film this. <laughs> you know, like you do. So uh, we'll show this video, um, which I think is, a, is an example of this being lived out and some of these things we've been talking about with Hebrews. And then just a time of silence, and then we'll close with some songs together. So I'll invite the band to make your way up if you would and uh, watch this and then there'll just be a little prompt on the screen for a time of silence. So here we go. I think sometimes in life you're given two choices. One choice is to put up barriers and with those barriers you know that you're going to be safe, you know that um, you're protected and that no one's going to really see what's really going on. Um, And I think sometimes the other choice is to be vulnerable and being vulnerable comes with a lot of risk and I know that that can bring a lot of pain too. But I also think with that vulnerability, there can be a really great reward. Um, And this week, I had a chance, and I kind of stood at a crossroads between putting up barriers or being vulnerable, and I chose to be vulnerable. 
Um, and what I really saw was God's grace in a way that I'd never experienced it before. Um, I had a difficult conversation with someone and I was totally dreading it. I did not want to have to be there. Um, sitting there was just, it was awful. And um, in that moment, I just felt like, you know what, I have to be honest and I have to be vulnerable about where I'm at. And with that, God showed me grace in a way that I've never seen um, coming from another person before. And I really felt that in that moment that I really learned a little more about like what it is to be human and what it is to really like walk the walk and um, you know you hear we hear all these things here at Awaken and I really felt like this past week I was able to see them in action and see them in my own life and um, one thing that stuck out to me from a few weeks ago was how God um, speaks in a lot of different ways and in that moment God was speaking through that other person straight to me. Friends, as you go, thank you for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us. Uh, reminder that there's prayer available if you would like that um, for any need. My hope and my prayer is that you would come to see the moments in life when you're being offered, ironically, what is life, but what might feel like death. And when you're offered what seems like life, but actually leads to death. That you would see them, that you would know them, and that you would choose life. Deuteronomy says, this day I set before you life and death. Choose life. Choose life. Grace and peace. Love you guys. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.